Father, let your praises ring. Thank you, Lord, for putting worship in our hearts and mouths today. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, our coming King, humble and true. In Jesus' name. Good morning, friends. Uh, there's not a Palm Sunday greeting. I've had that awkward moment with a few of you. are like, what do I say? Happy Palm Sunday. I, don't I think this works. We can just do that. Palm Sunday. <laughs> just kind of throw it up, throw the five. Um, but it is Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday marks the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. He's been talking about this in the Gospels for a couple of years now, three as he's been working and healing and ministering and visiting Jerusalem and coming back. But he has been saying, if you, if you read the Gospels, he's been telling his disciples, okay, this is it. And there's a moment when he turns his face and he sets his face on Jerusalem and they start that 17-mile walk from Galilee to Jerusalem. And this is it. It's game on, Okay. And so there he is in Jerusalem, walking in, and this is the thing we celebrate as we get going this morning on Holy Week, what is known as Holy Week. Now, Palm Sunday, I don't know for you, but for me, it's, it's one of my actual favorite Sundays of the year, and I think because it's very tactile, like it's very memorable. You know, you got, the, you got Moo, the, the, the donkey thing out there. Um, I grew up in the city, sorry. Uh, you got the palm fronds, and we got those in our hands. Like, it's experiential. You can smell it. Right? I might be, the, again, the donkey. Um, as I understand, there's, there's like familiarity to it, you know? Uh, I understand last year I was not here yet. We did not have the donkey, and I guess we heard about it from quite a few people. So the donkey is back, right? Because it cannot be Palm Sunday without the donkey, right? There's something familiar about Palm Sunday, and we like it that way. We like it that way. And historically, there actually was something very familiar to the people on that first day, when Jesus rode into the temple, there actually was something familiar about this event too. Yeah, Palm Sunday actually happened one other time before that, at least. Because what Jesus was doing when he was walking into the temple and people were treating him that way by laying the palms down and taking their coats off, this is what you do. This is kind of standard operating procedure when a new king comes to town, when there's like a new conqueror, a new warrior, a new hope, this is what they do. So there was something familiar actually happening that day that Jesus came to town and people started to react that way, taking off their coats and throwing palm fronds down. It happened about 170 years before it happened with Jesus. Now you might think that's a really long time ago, but when you don't have access to tons of media and tons of information that are filling you constantly, 170 years ago, actually, not that long ago. Those are stories that your grandparents would have passed on to you and would have felt rich, right? And it was, it was deep in their history, but it was an important moment. 170 years prior to Jesus coming into Jerusalem, there was a great hero, Simon Maccabeus. And Maccabeus was an Israel warrior from a line of warriors. Like, they were tough. And at the time, Jerusalem was ruled by a Greek extension, the Seleucids. And the Seleucids were vicious. They were a superpower. And they reigned over all of Jerusalem. And Simon and his gang, they routed these guys. They rose up, starved them out, and laid claim back to the citadel in Jerusalem. It was, it was an important moment in their history as he reclaimed Jerusalem back for God's people. And you can see, as recorded in a book called 1 Maccabees, chapter 1351, of which if you uh, have a Catholic Bible, sometimes these books are in there. 
In this particular passage, it describes on the 23rd day of the second month, when apparently it was snowing, and it was supposed not to be. No, I don't know if it was snowing. Um, <laughs> 23rd day of the second month in the 171st year, so very specific, right? The Jews entered the citadel of Jerusalem with praise and singing, and there's the palm branches again, with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments, much like we had today, with hymns and songs. Why? Because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. Hail, Simon Maccabeus. He's done it. He's kicked them out, and we get our land back together again. Well, that victory actually didn't last very long. As happens in world history, over and over again, a new superpower rose up, this one called Rome. They had great food, but they were, tor- they were terrible. And they came in and they sacked Israel and everywhere else, took it over, and now there was a new oppression. So that sets the stage for what happened next as Jesus, now this itinerant kind of pastor, preacher, prophet, miracle worker, the new hope of the people, but he wasn't from the city. He was kind of from the sticks. But people were hearing about him, and he was coming into town, and people were like, who is this Jesus, and and why has he come to town? What's going on? And this is the story we get in Matthew chapter 21. If you have your Bibles with you, great. Uh, Open them up. If you don't, they're on the screen there. I can read it for you again, because this is the story of the day. This is Palm Sunday. Let me pray as we open up God's Word again. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for these words. Thank you for this rich story. Lord, I do recognize we live in a world that is way different than they did thousands of years ago. We have access to so much other media and information and stories and, and, and culture and movies and, and, and just stuff, you know, two and, two and three-minute videos constantly in our face. And then, Lord, this story wants to break through all that and become real. So that's going to only be a work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that you would take this familiar story to some of us and just break it open. Let it become real. Bring us back into that time that we can imagine you there, that great hope and the eternal victory that you're about to give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 21. So now here it is, this band of believers. Now, if you look back earlier in the chapter, it was, it was Jesus and his crowd. He started out in Jericho, and it was a great crowd following him. These were his people. They were following the 17 miles to get to Jerusalem, and they were getting close. They were now at Bethphage, which is just outside, like a suburb, right? They could see the city. One of my favorite things about living on here is when you go over the bridges, and I can see like the, the tower. The, I call it the Sears Tower. I always will. Amen? No. I just, I love that, right? I love that I can see the city from here. And that, that's where they were. They were like, okay, we can see the city. There it is, right? Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead saying, go into the village in front of you and immediately there you're going to find a donkey that's tied up and there's going to be a little baby colt with her. She's going to be cute. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone gives you anything about it, just tell them the Lord needs these. And they will send them at once. And it, it happened. They went and found the donkey there and the, the little baby colt, colt there, little baby donkey, brought it over to Jesus I don't know if they knew it at the time, but all this was happening to fulfill what was already spoken of by the prophet Zechariah when he said, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. But this king 
won't be riding in like a warrior king. He's going to be humble, mounted on a donkey, which if you look at old Moo out there, it's not much. On a colt, on the foal of a beast of burden. It's humble, right? So the disciples went and they did just as Jesus directed them, which is always a good thing. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid on them their cloaks like their top coats. Sometimes that's often their most precious possession is their coat. They laid it on them and he sat on it. And then most of the crowd, presuming his disciples who had walked with him those 17 miles, they also spread their cloaks out on the road. And others cut branches off from trees and spread them on the road. And I always find that interesting, this little detail about cloaks and, 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 uh, and palm branches, right? Because we tend to call it Palm Sunday, but Cloak Sunday is pretty powerful. I mean, the idea that you'd take off your top coat, like your nice coat, and lay it down on the dirt ground so that Jesus and donkey crew can walk over it. Like, you're all in, right? You're all in if you're doing that. Like, I'll, I can break a branch off and lay that down. That, that doesn't bother me any, but to throw my coat down in front of Moo, that's something. You're all in. So they're, calling, they're laying down their cloaks, they're laying down the branches on the road, and there's a crowd that's going before them, and they're following him, and they're shouting at him, and they're causing a ruckus, right? This isn't murmuring worship. They're shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And as he entered up Jerusalem, you could tell the whole, the whole city was stirred by this ruckus. And they were like, who is this guy? And the crowd started responding, oh, that's the prophet Jesus. He's from Nazareth of Galilee, which would be like, he's from Naperville, right? Like, that's not a hot spot. So Jesus is, sorry for you to live in Naperville, I'm sorry. I've got to edit these things, sorry. Love you, Naperville. Um, this was a ruckus, a riot, like he was coming in and causing a stir and, and here's what's going on. They, they, they had done this before. Remember that point? They had done this before. This was a victory march. This is what you do. We got a new king. We throw the cloaks down. We throw the palm branches down. We celebrate. This guy's going to get rid of Rome. He's going to kick them out. We're going to get our land back because of this guy. That's what they were excited about. But that's not what Jesus was coming to do. And we know that there was frustration about that because here's the irony of Palm Sunday. They're going to hang him and put him on the cross in less than five days, the same people that welcomed him into the city. So they had hoped that Jesus was coming as this warrior king. He was going to rise up and inaugurate a new kingdom here for them to kick Rome out and get their land back and get their people back together. But that's not what he was about. See, in the moment, Jesus was just the next big thing, the next Simon Maccabeus, the next big warrior king to get them what they wanted, which was their land back and their freedom from Rome. But we know that that's not what Jesus was there to do. He's not just the next big thing. And I think this is the part of the text where I feel like most of us can relate to, because we live in a culture that hardwires us to seek for the next big thing. Think about it. Like, we live in a culture that is always calling us to look forward to the next great victory, but it better be soon, right? Guy or people, think about this in sports. You're always looking at your team and you're thinking, okay, well, this trade they make, that might do it. I think that's the piece, missing piece that this guy could really hit or play or pitch. He's the one who's going to take us to that next level. 
You know, it was just two weeks ago we were celebrating some guy named Zion, which a great name, from Duke who was going to take him to the next level, take him to the championship. Okay, he's gone. Now somebody else is the next great hope. We're looking at the next big thing. We live in a culture that values trends. We're excited about the next big Star Wars movie coming up. But before that, we're excited about the next big movie that's coming out in two weeks. And we're excited about the next big trilogy that's going to come after that or the next season that's going to get released at your favorite show. We're excited about the next big actor, the next big singer, the next big song. I'm so impressed this week that in just a couple of weeks, and I tracked it, Old Town Road went from obscurity to suddenly my eight-year-old singing it in the car. I'm like, where did this come from? It's the next big thing. We're wired for it. What about our technology? We're wired for the next big thing. 5G, 8K, that's the next big thing. I'm excited about that, right? Our culture feeds us this desire for long or for short-term, short-lived success. We live in a culture that hardwires us for short-lived success. And it's not just in sports and trends and technology. It's in our lives, too. Looking forward to the next big break, the next big vacation, the next big event at work, the next big opportunity. We're hardwired for that. So how does that leak into our faith? I've been so thankful that Lars was inspired to get us into this, this season of Lent by talking about lead us not into consumption. Consumption is this reflection we have that we live in a consumer culture that promotes this idea of the next big thing, the next big rush, the next big thing I can grab onto? And how does that leak into our faith? How do we as people who want to follow Christ, and I know we do, pursue God in a culture that just keeps calling us to live for the next big thing that we want or we need, or the next big church holiday, which is next week, or the next big even spiritual rush when we see God move and answer a prayer? Those are good things, but we're supposed to have an eternal perspective when we look at who Jesus is and what he has done. Here's the problem with living for the next big thing. We can't focus on the eternal victory when we're just focused on the next big thing. It'll take our eyes off of that eternal perspective to see that that in Christ, there's, a, there's an eternal victory that he's bringing us. And, and here, that's the problem on that first Palm Sunday is You couldn't see it either. Jesus was coming into the city, but he wasn't coming there to get the band back together. He wasn't coming to to bring a new era of, of, of local peace and prosperity. He was coming to do something much bigger than that. And I imagine him standing or sitting there on those cloaks, riding on that donkey into the city as the people are shouting, and he knew what was in their hearts. Here it is. This is the guy. He's going to get rid of Rome. No. Forgive him, Father. They don't know what they're doing. I'm here for a bigger thing. He wasn't coming to set their city free. He was coming to set their hearts free. He wasn't coming to get rid of an oppressive superpower, Rome. He was coming to deal with an oppressive superpower, sin. That's what he was coming for. And I don't think a lot of them could see it because they were just focused on the next big thing. We cannot focus on the eternal victory of Christ when we're just looking for the next big thing. Even in our faith walk, Jesus, meet my needs. I I have this problem. I have this thing. 
Will you please meet that need? I don't think we can focus on the eternal victory in Christ when we're just focused on that next big thing. This is evident in the scriptures as the story continued and people reflected on the ministry of Christ in Colossians chapter 3 when Paul was inspired to write, if you have been raised with Christ, that Jesus that rode into town on that donkey that day, if you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated there at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not the things that are here on earth, for you have died and your life I think the implication here, friends, is that our real lives are hidden there with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears again, you will also appear with him in a glory. In other words, there's a victory that Christ has rendered over to us that we can live out of today, but it's actually not fully realized until that great and wonderful day when the sky parts and Jesus comes back and we're all standing with him in a glory that will never end. That's the victory. And it's so hard for us to set our focus on that when we're focused on just the next big thing. Set your mind, he says, on the things that are above, on the victory that Christ has won. This is a challenge, isn't it? It's hard for me. I'll be honest, it's really hard for me. I had a a season not that long ago. It's real fresh. And I don't know if you've ever had times like this where it's like I was getting it from every angle, right? External, multiple sources. Internal, heart, mind, you know, the self-talk, right? It was at the point where I was like, I'm afraid to open my email. I'm afraid to answer the phone. I'm afraid to sit alone in my own thoughts because I was just getting assaulted every way. A lot of pain, a lot of pressure. Even physical. It's like, well, why does that hurt, you know? What is that all about? Like, I felt like I was just getting it from every side. Do you ever have a time like that where you're just under a lot of pain or pressure, right? And it was just really feeling it. And I was like, Lord, I really need you to help me with these, these things, this pain, this pressure, this thing, that thing. And what helped me was a passage like that. Set your mind on the things that are above, not the things that are here. And I began to reflect in my prayer of the amazing victory over sin and death that Jesus has given to me by grace, that I accepted by faith. And then I know that no matter what life throws at me next, my eternal security is, is there. I will spend eternity with my Lord and my Savior, and that is an absolute gift of grace. Thank you, Jesus. But by resetting my focus on that, not only did I get peace in the pain and the pressure, but I also see, started to see God move in those local pains and pressures, those immediate needs, because I knew that I was more than a conqueror I knew that the end of my story is going to be okay. And I think about this when I'm talking to friends who are in struggle as well. You know Jesus? Yes. Then the end of your story is great. No matter what you're dealing with today, no matter what pain, what pressure, what relationship is breaking down, whatever is hurting, whatever is aching you, whatever you're dealing with, it's going to be okay because he's rendered to us an eternal victory in Christ. We set our eyes on that, that thing that's above all of a sudden, the things on earth grow strangely dim. It's reflected again in Scripture. Jesus said it, Matthew 6, He said, look first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, his bigger story. And then everything else will get added onto you. You might be having a season right now, a lot of pain and pressure. We get it. 
Setting your eyes on that eternal victory of Christ will give you peace in that because you know your story ends in glory and you start to see God working his victory in those local needs. That's what Jesus was about that day. So we go back to Jesus there on Old Moo coming into the city. But you notice that he's not displaying all the swagger of like a conquering hero. Instead, he's humble on a, on a, a donkey, on a mule, and on a foal. He's humble. And he's got a longer-term vision for what his ministry is here to do. That he's going to be able to endure the cross and despise the shame, knowing this is something bigger. That he's part of a bigger story of redemption and eternal victory. And if you remember, the people are shouting, just as we did this morning in worship, Hosanna! Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! This word, Hosanna, uh, emerges to us from Psalm 118. This is where the text shows us that passage in Psalm 118. And the psalmist writes, Save us, O Lord! We pray, save us, we pray, O Lord. Hosanna is translated from this Hebrew word of save us, we pray, O Lord. Please, Lord, save us. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he that who comes in the name of the Lord. This is Psalm 118, starting in verse 25. Save us, O Lord, we pray. There was a cry out for a Savior that is the root of this word, Hosanna. But interestingly, how words change from the time it was written several hundred years before Jesus walked, that they began to use this word Hosanna not just to beg God for victory, but to know that if you're asking God for victory, then the victory is certain. If you ask God for victory, if you go to him and you say, Lord, please help me, you're going to the Lord and then the victory is certain. And so the way that they were using this passage, this word Hosanna, at the time that Jesus was here was not like, hey, Jesus, help us, please. It was, Hosanna, our salvation is here. Because if God shows up to solve your problems, then your problems are solved. Because your salvation has come. That's why they were so excited. And they didn't even get it. Because the victory that Jesus was coming to give them was an eternal victory over sin and death. And yes, eventually, freedom for their people in a way that was never, ever going to end. So friends, on this Palm Sunday, I have to ask you, have you welcomed him into the gates of your heart? Have you called out Hosanna to the son of David? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Have you opened the gates of your heart to that conquering, humble hero to render to you an eternal victory by which everything else pales? Have you opened your heart to him? Have you laid down your palms? Have you taken off your coat? Have you laid your life before the Lord, asking, Lord, my salvation is here? Because here's the thing about Jesus, and I love this about him, that if you call to him, if you invite him in, he will come in and he will give you rest. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the start of a holy week. 
Lord, I pray that your grace would be evident in each and every one of our hearts this morning as we consider that moment, that day when the people didn't quite get it. And maybe there's some of us who are here this morning that are like that. Like we celebrate the Palm Sunday. We recognize the King is here, but we don't yet understand the victory. And maybe we're here because we're distracted by pains or pressures or even culture that tells us to look for the next great thing, that next fun video, that next great success, instead of focusing on the eternal victory that you have won over us. Thank you, Jesus, that by your death and your resurrection, you have vanquished the last enemy, sin and death. And then we can walk in confidence over all of those things that may be struggling with us right now. Because we know in the end of our story, you win. And you invite us to celebrate that victory with you. Come, Lord Jesus. Be our Lord. Be our Savior. Be our King. We ask in your name, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Amen.